Hello and welcome to Season 2 of Capture Q. For our first episode this year, we talked to Michael Yui, the co-founder of Oakland Realty. To begin the episode, we talk a little bit about what spurred him to start his own realty brokerage. We also talk about how to pivot when you face obstacles and what to do when you have a staff that relies on you. But mostly we talk about mental health when you're running a business and how to have compassion for your staff. By the end of the episode, you'll realize how rare it is to see a founder like Michael. So I hope you enjoy the episode. If you do, please share it with friends, share it with family, give us a rating or share it on social and we'll be happy to see you there. So we're with Michael, who's the co-founder of Oakland. Yeah, nice to have you here. Yeah, thanks for having me, Tracy. Appreciate it. Of yeah, course. It would be it would be neat to jump right in on your founding story. Sure. Um, I find interviewing entrepreneurs, there's always something, you know, there's a pivotal moment. There's, yeah, some trauma there. Yeah, course, yeah. <laughs> a, heavier, a heavier kind of springboard. Um, I'd love it if you started with that. Yeah, sure. Uh, well, you know, some people from a kid, like my business partner, she knew she wanted to own her own business from when she was like, a fetus. But for me, I, you know, I'm just a regular guy. I went to, you know, I went to school and I, I didn't have any intention of starting my own business or doing that, uh, anything entrepreneurial. What did you go to school for? Uh, I went to school um, to, uh, I went to uh, UBC and my focus was going to be law. Um, so I think, you know, I'm from an Asian background. And so, you know, you can choose between doctor, lawyer, and accountant. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's a common story. Yeah, it's a common story. <laughs> so I was, you know, my my dad wasn't an educated man. So he, you know, he's like, oh, you got to get a great education. But, you know, when uh, I was 20, he got diagnosed with uh, cancer and, you know, really had a long battle with that. So I uh, really changed my plans um, because obviously got to help the family and stuff like that after he passed away uh, when I was 22. Um, so yeah, so shifted my focus from, you know, pursuing education, academics and travel to, uh, you know, how are we going to survive? And uh, so that's as a family. And so, you know, I, I kind of made a promise to him that I would help my family. And I figured the only way to do that was financially. So that's how I got into real estate sales. Mm-hmm. So that was, are you the oldest or? No, I'm there. So I come from a family of, I have three sisters and a brother. So there's five of us and my mom. And at the time we had our, you know, grandparents and stuff like that. So we, um, yeah, so it was just, there was a lot of us in the house. <laughs> it's a busy house. <laughs> and so you launched into, initially it was sales. Was that real estate sales right away? Yeah, so I started as a realtor um, in 2006 um, and was ill-prepared. <laughs> Probably like I, I, I my last year of university, I got my license and I just kind of started at a brokerage. Um, I thought I was going to get a lot of like help and assistance from the brokerage I was at. Um, but it was really like a different type of atmosphere. It was really competitive. It was really like like hiding your secrets and, you know, closed door type of scenario. Very hierarchical as well. If you weren't selling, no one wanted to talk to you. Oh, wow. So as a new agent, I felt it was really challenging to really get started in that environment. Um, so, but I did probably just from a needs perspective. So I you know, went to the library, I borrowed every book about how to be a realtor. I read them cover to cover. And, and yeah, that's kind of how I got started. Yeah, Because you mentioned once or you wrote before, mm-hmm. um, 
that uh, age was kind of kind of a barrier. People would look at you and go, "You're too young." You know what? Uh, what are you doing here? Yeah, that was a barrier. You know, I started when I was 22, 23, and you know, I was very young. And you know, the average age of a real estate agent is, uh, you know, is I think 51 or 52 years old. So, no way. Yeah, um, that's an industry average. So you know, starting out young presented a challenge. Um, you know, actually not so much with buyers and sellers and, and in the public, but actually just my peers, the other realtors in the office, really, there's a bit of ageism and stuff like that that occurred, uh, which was kind of, you know, disappointing, you know, at, at that time. But that was a long, that was 15 years ago. So, wow. yeah. And then so from there, so you're at this brokerage right. and you're kind of going, okay, I need to sell, I need to make money in this career um, faced, faced with challenges. Right. So, so where do you go from there? Well, I remember my first day as a realtor, <laughs> like I showed up at, um, I think like eight o'clock cause I was wanted to be early for my first day. Like I, I should have probably did a bit more research before I got started, but I didn't. And yeah, I showed up for my first day. I was the only one in the office. I kind of waited for, uh, the manager to kind of come into the office. So it was like nine o'clock. He wasn't there yet. I was like, hmm, what's going on here? <laughs> and so Someone I kinda, tell me what to do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So like, who's going to tell me what to do all day? Yeah. So I went to his uh, like office at, you know, like when he got in at nine 30 or something, I said, okay, I'm a new realtor. I don't know anything. Can like, what do I do to start? And he's like, well, call all your friends and family and uh, ask them to buy or sell home with you. So I left his office and I just got a cell phone <laughs> wow. and I didn't have, you know, a whole lot of contacts besides my brothers and sisters and a couple friends. I don't, I'm not the world's most popular guy. So yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I know it's hard to imagine, but <laughs> it's true. And so I basically went to, uh, uh, you know, I left his office. I came back 10 minutes later. I said, I called everyone and no one wants to sell. And he's like, uh, <laughs> or buy. And he's like, okay. So then he slid across a phone book, you know, the white pages. He said, start dialing. So I spent, you know, the first three months of my business uh, in, in the phone book starting at A and dialing. They call it dialing for dollars and sales. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And I was dialing for dollars for a while. And uh, yeah, that's what I did to get started. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, you know, we kind of touched on the, you know, the founding of Oakland. Mm. Yeah. So how did you two meet initially? Good Morgan. I was a, a an independent agent as a realtor, uh, working at different offices for, you know, the first seven years of my career, and fairly disappointed at the landscape of what was available. And so we thought we would start a small company just to really serve uh, our age demographic with um, not just our age demographic, but our kind of the spirit of being kind of more collaborative and open and and a different approach to um, to, to the business um, that we experienced before. Um, so we started a comp my sister and I, Arlene, um, started a started the company uh, called Opus Realty. Um, so we started as Opus Realty um, after I took a trip to, like I took a, like kind of a backpacking trip, like an existential mission. Came back, I'm like, okay, we're going to start a brokerage and hope to have some positive impact on people. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, that's, we started with a company called Opus. Um, uh, you know, I was so happy and shocked and surprised that we got that name. Opus means masterpiece. Um, so kind of like uh, your magnum opus, your you know your best work. So I thought, hey, that's a cool name for a brokerage. So we started it and we got it approved and we were pretty happy. Uh, little did we know that um, 
after six or after about a year of operating Opus and we started to get a few really great agents. One of them was Morgan, um, who's Morgan Brown, who's my, uh, my, one of our business partners at Oakwin. Yeah. We, we little did we know. And after our first year, um, we started getting a bit of traction. It started to, you know, we started to build a small community of agents that were really like-minded. Uh, and then I got a letter in the mail from Opus Realty in Alberta. Oh, no. <laughs> and I didn't know that we had to register with the Canadian registry. And there was a trademark on that name. And so, you know, we had to make a shift. Yeah. So. I have a question here sure. on, you know, all founders that I interviewed. There's, mm. there's always those... The challenges are the, you know, those moments of, oh, God, how are we going to get through this? Or even just developing a proposal and having it rejected. Or, you know, how how do you move past that or, or keep inspired or not let the, you know, the defeat drain your energy? How do you move on when those challenges come up? Yeah. So, you know, when faced with a challenge of, so one is we had probably about 20 or 30 agents that got started with us, which I thought was amazing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, now that to think of how many agents we have now and how many great people we get to work with it's kind of but anyways at the time we had about 20 or 30 agents and they you know um i've always tried to be um looking at things that from the perspective of the people you serve and not from your own perspective and i feel like when you look at your own like when you look selfishly at within yourself there's always a lot of fears and doubts and stuff like that mm -hmm. so i kind of put myself in the position of the agent that we were working with uh, so how brokerages work is brokerages serve the agents and educate and train the agents uh, realtors that then serve the buyers and sellers in the marketplace so you know i put myself in their shoes i'm like they're gonna think you know that this company's a joke you know we're gonna have to change a name after one year being here it's mm -hmm. really so we basically made a commitment that we're going to make a change of a name. We're going to have to really focus on the brand. So we took it as a real positive. And instead of it being like, how incompetent are you to not trademark your name before you start a company, which is kind of like what I pictured people would say i was like okay we need to improve our brand substantially yeah. and make it a better offering to the customer which is our agents and let's like focus on that so we spent about you know four to six months we hired some amazing creative minds um i'm gonna plug them now of course. <laughs> uh, glassford and walker oh um, yeah they're wonderful yeah so uh, aaron and phoebe over there uh, really taught us a whole lot about uh, you know, the creative process about branding and, and elegance with approachability, which mm -hmm. is kind of what we are, our kind of niche and really focused on, on really building something that was memorable. And so, you know, when I look at the, um, our Opus Realty logo was like this lime green and light blue logo, which, Basically, my favorite color is blue, light blue, and my sister's favorite color is lime green. So that's why they, like, that's the whole that was the whole reason why it was lime green and light blue, uh, the first logo. And so, yeah, <laughs> so it yeah. is. There, there's something to be said here too, just about being able to recognize other people's strengths and hire them for that, where right. you know your strengths are. You can't be good at everything, right? No, so. no. I'm in fact, I'm bad at everything. <laughs> <laughs> we could move into um, 
you know, running a business and working with a team, I really like what you were saying about being in a company and feeling you're on your own. Um, mm-hmm. Oakland seems to be to me, it does value its people that it cares about that community aspect and training and teaching and learning mm-hmm. from each other and listening to, I think you wrote once, um, you know, listening to a bunch of perspectives before you make a decision. Right. Um, so do you want to talk a little bit about, I guess, that, that community focus at your business, which mm-hmm. is rare for a lot of companies? Yeah. Um, maybe I'm a rebel, um, they, uh, but, uh, you know, I, I, I never believed in a hierarchical approach to operating a company or operating a community. I always believed in, uh, you know, letting the best ideas come to the forefront, uh, you know, removing egos and mm-hmm. removing hierarchy um, is something that, you know, I I think for the most part, 99% of all the great ideas in our company did not come from me. They came from feedback from our customers, number one, feedback from our staff, number two, and then maybe a, a sleepless night that I had or Arlene or Morgan had, my other partners uh, at the company had, like, you know, at some point, but 99.9% come from um, from the the community. So, yeah, I think, you know, it's really important to have a very clear idea of, you know, what you believe in. And it's talked about a lot in business and entrepreneurship, you know, is to really have a really strong value system and, and mm-hmm. really sticking to that. So our first core value that we have at our company is to put people first. It is really important to us that that is at the forefront of, of our company and, and what we, what we do. So putting ourselves in the shoes of the staff first and then putting ourselves in the shoes of the customers and then finally ourselves and what's going to be the best solution period versus like, not just what's going to serve me the the head like I'm not the head honcho but then like you know of whoever course. you know the hierarchy yeah, yeah hierarchy it's just you know I, I don't think that you know the the way of doing business now I, I don't think that resonates with people I feel like staff don't respect that yeah you know the the authoritarian style of running a business is I feel is outdated and and needs to be um, needs to be changed um, so you know we're one of the companies that really believes in that. This goes, it segues nice because you have written about being wronged. I mean, I've, I've interviewed a fellow who he works on workplace bullying and mm. I just saw a, an article about how abuse actually, verbal abuse and emotional abuse actually makes your brain not be able to function as well. Yeah. Um, and I think that kind of tyrannical, you know, you, you listen to me and you do what I say right away works in the short term. But as you said, staff, I don't think it works in the short term. It, it, it's it you know the carrot and the stick right like yeah. it, it works you know right. you'll run you'll run away and go yeah. get the, th- the thing done but in the long term you know because you were just mentioning it's you know it creates resentment mm-hmm. um their brain goes offline so they may be able to physically act and get out of yeah. the room but they might not be able to eff- effectively uh do the task mm-hmm. so i guess yeah. you want to talk about it you know being wronged or blamed for something you didn't do or how do people you know if they don't work at oakland mm-hmm. <laughs> how do people deal with that or being able to to stand up for themselves or or you know understand how to explain to the higher ups that you know hey when you yell at me it doesn't make me work better you mm-hmm. know any advice i guess for well, I think, you know, I, I like to always frame things in a, in a few different perspectives. You know, you look inside, like, how does it make you feel? Um, and then you really try to analyze the truth, like, what is the actual truth versus the perception of truth, which can be different to different people. I think for the most part, when people 
either workplace bullying or prejudice or anything like that, typically it comes from a source. And the source is typically either a kind of a tradition of this of this behavior that is kind of, well, my boss did this to me, so I'm doing mm-hmm. this to you type of yeah. scenario, scenario where you want to break that chain. Or um, something internally where they're battling within their families or within their friendships or their relationships. And, you know, I'm not a person that likes to judge or um, I think the only way to uh, affect change is through uh, example, is not through, um, you know, standing on a soapbox and, and defying it. So it's really by leading by example and trying to break the chain there. And, you know, if I was in a big company and or a company and I wanted to affect change, the only way I would do so would be to, like Martin Luther King, be the change that you wish to see in the world and really focus on that. Um, you know, I don't think it's right to, to you know, to just ignore or, or just kind of ignore any kind of prejudice specifically that's causing you, you know, anxiety, stress, or any kind of uh, impairment. Um, But, you know, if you can see where it's coming from, analyze it and framework it in such a way, then you can kind of deal with it how you'd like and what's the best best solution. Is it to come out and speak about it? Is it to uh, provide a good example? Is it to write a letter? Is it Mm -hmm. to, you know, you can put some perspective on it and be a bit more strategic than reactive because, you know, typically when faced with these things, it was a reaction. It was something that was not not thought out and so like you know you don't want to react back you want to mm-hmm. um take a second to think about it and, that's great and make uh make the best decisions for your business or your career as well yeah mm-hmm. i saw also you write about um i really loved the jordan peterson helen lewis interview oh too. yeah right and, and you're writing about the idea of and i mean you know as a woman we deal with this a lot of there's kind of the dichotomy, and I don't even want to say women because I'm man agreeable as well, but mm-hmm. the kind of the power dynamics between the assertive person, you know, knows how to ask for the raise and, and show right. that they have strengths versus the agreeable person who just kind of, you know, puts their nose down and works mm-hmm. really hard, but can't speak up and say, hey, you know, I should get rewarded for this. Right. Um, as, as an owner, how, mm-hmm. how would you kind of address that? Do you go out of your way to notice the people who might not be as showy with how good they are? Yeah, you know... I am a, I have a extreme disdain for workplace politicking and for displays of, you know, like outward displays of how good you are, how like, so we have something that's etched on our walls at every office. It's a, you know, work hard, stay humble. And, you know, I feel like the output of the work speaks for itself, you know, in our, in our company, certainly. So, you know, we have, a you know we're developing we're a pretty new company so we don't you know we're not we haven't figured it out by any sense of the imagination but we have scorecards mm-hmm. that we have for you know for individuals and they're rated you know for the most part from a bonus and a benefit perspective based on you know their output of work and quality feedback they're getting from our customers and stuff like that so more a bit more analytical in a sense than mm-hmm. just kind of like well this person's like when every time they're like cleaning up they're being really loud about moving yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I'm just like ah that's not for me so we have a high um like i love the staff i I, like this 
the staff we have, the, the, the reception staff, the accounting staff, the marketing staff, the conveyancing, which is our kind of filing paperwork staff and, mm-hmm. um, the people we have in our company, we, we deeply care about them. We want to see them grow and to succeed and to do amazing things. And so that, that's at our, that's at our forefront. Mm-hmm. So, um, I noticed when I used to work at, uh, I want to be an unnamed grocery store. Yeah. <laughs> Like yeah, they should be, yeah, yeah, like you know, I noticed that the 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 people that were really kissing up to the front of house manager were getting like longer breaks and were getting like um, more preferences and perks and stuff like that. They would be able to let things go a little bit, and you know that always really bugged me. Mm-hmm. Um, being kind of the innately a, a more introspective person like i i never i just i actually like doing the work so i just keep my head down and like to work <laughs> so mm-hmm. i'm but that's i think that's always great it's having experience and why you know so many founders they always go back to those early years of having you know been you know worked in a dish pit in a restaurant or right. working at a that might be the most or... valuable job i ever had yeah. yeah yeah working on the dish pit yeah in in Why a restaurant that? i think it's the like it gives you a space because when you're in this, when you're in the dish pit and you're just, you know, you're kind of like, you're always a little damp and moist and it's just, it's endless, endless repetition of yeah. washing the dishes and, uh, and it kind of, have you heard of like transcendental meditation or transcendental? Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. you know, when you're in this kind of like, like zone of Mm -hmm. just doing these things like you kind of get entranced and you really get a chance to think about things um and you know like yeah like i always when i was in the dish pit i dish pit i asked myself a lot of existential questions about like you know why am i doing this like there has to be a better way to make money than this like there has to be a better living that i could etch out for myself like is this how i'm using my you know my god-given ability to think like and so like you know and so i found it really valuable and i having that experience now when i you know walk into the office or you know come into a certain situation i'm eternally grateful for the opportunity to do what we do now because I'm that guy from the dish pit mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. yeah. And I still like, yeah, I still have like memories of getting shouted at for peeling potatoes the wrong way yeah, or like, you know, and I know that I'm not far above that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, so it puts things into a really great perspective. Of I think course. lots of like, and I, I have a lot of, you know, really great people in my life, but, you know, I've met a lot of people and they, you know, they kind of have disdain for their careers and their jobs. And I don't think that we understand how grateful we should be about, of you course, know, um, yeah. the, the life that we get to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's live. huge. So many people have that, you know, how do I get out of this and how mm-hmm. do I, you know, work harder? Um, so you're becoming a dad. Right. And you mentioned how before major life events, before your wedding, before, right. you know, having a kid, you don't feel that anxiety. You actually feel mm-hmm. a sense of calm. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. You know, I think for, I don't know if it's like like a male or a masculine thing, but I feel like, I think the Asian culture has a tendency to hide your feelings and hide your emotions and 
be very stoic, um, mm-hmm. which I feel like I've adopted a lot of those things. And, you know, talking about like big life changes and things like that, um, really for mine, it's just like a, a sense of, uh, of calm. And actually, I did get very emotional at my wedding. And I got emotional when I heard about my daughter. Um, she, she's almost going to be here. Um, mm-hmm. My wife's nine months pregnant right now. Wow. Uh, but here, like when I saw the pregnancy test, I just felt like overwhelmed with like, you know, emotions. Mm-hmm. And um, part of my life is, you know, starting to open up to that. But I am very, th- there is a sense of calm because I know that they're specifically with my, <laughs> with my wife and my daughter about to come. Like it's, it, you know, it, I say, I talked about it in, in, in a writing that I did, but it feels like a sense of oneness. It feels like a sense of unity and um, that we're like have this connection, which I don't want to get cliche, but is like, it's it's very it's overwhelmingly emotional and Mm -hmm. but at the same time i feel a sense of calm because i know it's the right thing and it's you know it feels really good so of course yeah I, i like how you touched on being stoic too i you know so many people I know, myself included, my parents, they've, you know, they have been through a lot to the boomer generation. They, they went through a lot. And I right. think as a coping mechanism, they just kind of, you know, don't look back, look forward, don't complain, don't, you know, don't even talk about any of that. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we kind of had this movement of we need to talk about it. We need to, you know, it's a tenant of psychotherapy or mm-hmm. even just neuroscience, the idea that you need to, you know, be open with these struggles and these stresses or even these, you know, joys and love. It's, mm-hmm. it's very important. And I think for our generation to recognize that it's something I am quite proud about that we, we know how good that is for you. Yeah. You know, I think it's, you know, not to like, but to compare with, uh, you know, a, another existence, another generation, you know, the times were very different, mm-hmm. you know, and I think, you know, I, I, I always love exploring, uh, ideas and exploring, you know, if, if you're feeling a certain way, uh, you know, to ex- explore why you're feeling those ways and how you can, you know, to make decisions or program yourself in a certain way to be able to think differently. Cause I know I, you know, I've, uh, you know, I've certainly in my experience has changed a lot, uh, mm-hmm. based on things that have happened. And, you know, I won't be shy about saying that I've, you know, had counseling and stuff like that mm-hmm. in the past that have helped I me think to. It's- great for everyone yeah and i think i feel like it's really valuable to be able to externalize some of your feelings put them and help to map them out and why you're experiencing these these things and then you know understand what the truth is you know but mm-hmm. if it's all locked within your own mind or if it's locked within your heart or wherever you want to call it then it's really hard to to dissect you know what's truth versus perception of truth mm-hmm. Um, or, or, you know, what's trauma or perception of trauma and what's like, what's the, what's the reality Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, and it's really helpful to kind of go through some of these exercises with people you really trust that could be professionals or could be, you know, someone in your life that's really like, has that great perspective, right? Of course, yeah. 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 And even that idea of rumination, right? Rumination makes you think something's bigger than it is. And then when you... Put it over there. You go, oh, okay. That's, as you said, you know, even trauma is a very, you know, deep rooted thing, but you can look at it and go, you know what? That's not me. That doesn't define me. And, yeah. And, you know, and, and realize that we do have the power to, to do that. For sure. And you can always, it can either be, 
you know, a f- like a fine wine or it can be rot, right? Yeah. But it is fermentation. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's, you know, it could be those, oh, that dichotomy, but you got to, like, I feel like you got to go for an out- optimistic outcome. Yeah. Like if you're an entrepreneur, if you're trying to make a difference, if you're trying to do something different, you got to go for an optimistic outcome. Mm-hmm. Like, um, you know, you have to understand all the risks and all the, 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 the obstacles and everything like that. But I feel like you have to aim for, for the fine wine. <laughs> of course. Yeah. I think that's a great analogy. It's hilarious. (laughs) Um, As we tie up, anything you want to add or you know advice for anybody trying to start a business? Or I think if anyone wants to start a business, it would be the it it has been the adventure of my life of you know running uh, and starting a business, and I don't regret anything about it. And it's been like an amazing ride, and and um, but it's also filled with a lot of it's filled with a lot of danger and a lot of um a lot of dependence yeah and a lot of luck <laughs> as well <laughs> i like, like that you said that yeah and you know some people i i feel like there are smarter better entrepreneurs than me but i just got luckier than them and like if you if that's going to bug you <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of like it because I, I i think that there is a bit there's a lot of element of of, of that because mm-hmm. i feel like i have a, a friend that run like such a smart guy he runs a he runs a fast food restaurant uh, like yeah, but pandemic. then it's the pandemic <laughs> happened and he's like he can't operate his restaurant anymore and like yeah his 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 business wasn't deemed essential and you know i don't know for some unknown reason real estate became a essential service so we're able to continue to operate through the pandemic now that's just pure luck yeah now that's yeah. nothing to do with intelligence you know uh you know being like uh, like a zen uh predictor of the future mm-hmm. it's just plain luck and so you know there's there's elements of that which it, it makes life fun but at the same time like it's uh um, you know, it, it, it's such a ride and just enjoy it. Just enjoy mm-hmm. every moment. And know when it. to capitalize on that luck when the opportunity is presented to take it, right? Yeah. Because everyone's thrown a little bit of luck. But. Yeah, you know, I don't even know if I like that word capitalize. I like the word like, like everything, like if, if capital is, capital is important, but it shouldn't be the, the, the main thing. It's should take be, advantage of. Take advantage, like yeah. provide value, like, you know, do something of value, do something that you like care about, mm-hmm. like, that's like the big thing. The capital will come after you provide value. Let's say notice those. Yeah. Of luck. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not disagreeing with when the they, host When they come your way. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. great. Yeah, thanks, Tracy. I appreciate yeah. you having me. Of course. Well, thanks for coming and yeah. good luck with being a dad. That's oh, thank you. So yeah, I'm very excited to be, pu- uh, be called Papa. <laughs> yeah, so fun. Great. Awesome. Okay, thanks, right. Tracy. Thanks.